Well, there was a young man who went to pick up a woman for his first date with her. And as he got to the home and knocked on the door, uh, the lady was surprised that there was a knock on the door because she looked at her clock and thought she had a lot of time left. And then she noticed that somewhere during the day her clock had stopped. And as a result, uh, she had no makeup on, her hair was still wet, she wasn't ready, but here was her date at the door. So she goes to the door and opens it, and standing there, she's a bit embarrassed, but she tries to make the best of it. And she smiles at him, and she says, well, what do you think? (laughs) And this young man, very wisely as he looked at her, said, I think something beautiful is about to happen. (laughs) Oh, I know. His words... His words endeared him to this young lady, and they began to date and eventually got married. Now, years passed, and the husband came home one day, and there was his wife in a similar situation, no makeup, her hair was wet. In fact, she had it rolled up in these big, huge pink rollers. And the husband looks at her and says, what happened to your hair? And she said, oh, I said it. And he sarcastically said to her, well, when does it go off? No, not yet, no. You see, two similar situations with two different outcomes. In one case, his words brought delight. But in the other case, they were destructive. As we turn in our Bible today to Ephesians chapter 4 and verses 25 through 32, we're going to see that our words have power. Our words are powerful. They can tear somebody down or they can build somebody up. And this is the same passage that we looked at last week when we talked about anger and how God said there are right and wrong kinds of anger. And today we're going to see there are right and wrong kinds of words that can come from our mouth. As we look at Ephesians 4.25, it starts out with one of the wrong kinds. It says, therefore, laying aside falsehood. This is lies. He says, that's wrong. Lay aside falsehood and speak truth, each one of you with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. The word therefore connects with Paul's saying with what he's already said earlier. You'll recall when we began our series in the book of Ephesians, we saw that chapters 1 through 3 deal with our position as believers. Paul laid a foundation through doctrine and other things, speaking of who we are in Christ. And then as he came into chapter 4 through 6, he began to deal with more of the practical side of our walk, saying based upon your position, this is how you are to practice the Christian life. And as we saw in the first part, one of the major themes of our position is that we've been unified. We've been made into one new entity called the church. And here, Paul reminds us again, as he says, we are members of one another. There was one of the early church fathers named Chrissom, and he he spoke of this passage, and he used this analogy to illustrate it. He said, let not the eye lie to the foot, nor the foot to the eye. If there's a deep pit and its mouth is covered with reeds, presenting to the eye the appearance of solid ground, will not the eye use the foot to ascertain, to test the ground, to see whether it's hollow underneath or whether it's firm and resists? He says, will the foot tell a lie and not the truth as it is? And what if the eye were to spy a serpent or a wild beast? Will it lie to the foot? The feet won't deceive the eyes because they are members of the same body and neither would the eye deceive the feet. You see, what he's doing is painting a picture here is how if the different parts of the body uh, lie to one another, there's destruction to the overall body. And, and this is what happens in, in the church. There can be a destruction or damage to the unity of the body if the members are lying to one another. 
When we get to Ephesians chapter 5, he's going to speak of another relationship where we've been made one. He's going to talk about the husband and a wife who were uniquely individual people who have come together and become one flesh. And he's going to tell us how the same principles, we can destroy the unity in a marriage relationship. One of the sad parts of marriage counseling that I often see is how trust has been destroyed in a relationship. I'll have a husband and wife in my office where some lie or deception or something has happened in the past where one has, has lied to the other or been untrustworthy. And the marriage is, is in a mess. And they come in and they're saying, we, we want to, to fix things. And yet there's this, this broken trust. And they know and I know that if we cannot reestablish trust in the relationship, uh, it's going to be catastrophic. If they remain married, uh, they're going to be miserable. You, you have the, the spouse who is aggrieved, who is always wondering whether the person is cheating on them, lying to them. Whenever somebody's away, they're always checking on the other person. The person who uh, made the mistake in the past is a prisoner to the past in some cases. Uh, the other spouse will never let them forget the mistake that was made, or even when they're telling the truth, as a consequence and a penalty of a past lie, they continue to have this distrust in the relationship. And the same can happen between a parent and a child. You can have a, a child who uh, lies to a parent, who breaks a curfew, who does something, and the trust is broken in the relationship, and there are consequences that come, and the relationship is, is strained. Now, rather than remaining in that broken state, we see God has given us a solution. As he tells us in verse 32, we are to forgive one another as Christ has forgiven you. Now, as I tell you that, it, it doesn't mean that you give the person a blank check. We talked last week about what forgiveness is and how it's not forgetting or just passing over a wrong. When there is a wrong that is done, it has to be dealt with. God dealt with our wrong called sin. He didn't just say, oh, forget it. New day, new opportunity. What he said is, you sinned. You broke my law. You owe a penalty of death. And God dealt with the wrong. He sent his son, Jesus, who left heaven to come to earth, who gave his life out of his great love for us to die on the cross to pay that penalty of death. The wrong had to be dealt with. It had to be forgiven. And in order to be forgiven by God, we have to acknowledge our wrong. We have to confess it. The word confession literally means to say the same thing as God says about our sin. We acknowledge it's wrong. We say it has to stop. That's what the word repentance means. It means to have a change of mind that leads to a change of action. And so what we do is we say, I'm going in the wrong direction. I'm walking away from God and towards some sin. And we acknowledge we need to stop. We need to turn around and we need to come to God. The first time is we come to faith and we come to the cross where our sins are forgiven. Or as a believer who's been walking away from God, we turn around and we come back like the prodigal. And we find the Father is waiting to forgive us. And so there has to be a change. There has to be a confession and a repentance. And the same thing in a relationship. When we do wrong to somebody, we need to confess it. We need to ask for forgiveness. We need to change our actions. Not continuing to live in our old dead way of life or trying to justify uh, what we did as so many of us do. We make excuses or say it's not a big deal. Many of you know who Don Shula is. He was an NFL football coach. Uh, he led two different teams to the Super Bowl six different times. He led the Miami Dolphins to two Super Bowl championships. He's the only NFL coach ever to coach a perfect season, 17-0. and And Shula wrote a book that he titled Everybody's a Coach. 
And in it, as he's telling his life story, uh, he, he confesses a time that he lost his temper one day. And it was a well-known incident because it was during a televised game. They had one of these hot mics on the sideline. And Shula let loose with a string of profanity that shocked many people. This was back in the 70s where language like that wasn't commonplace. And Shula was known for his faith and integrity, so a number of people were blown away that these words would come from his mouth. Letters started to pour in, uh, saying how disappointed and shocked and surprised they were with Shula. Now, he could have made excuses. He could have said it was the heat of the battle. It was a game situation. It was on. He didn't do any of that. He went back on TV, and he acknowledged the wrong. He said, what I said was wrong. It was inappropriate, and I'm sorry. And of the letters that were sent in, if anybody had included a return address, Shula wrote a personal apology to the person. And he ended each letter with these words. I value your respect, and I will do my best to earn it again. When there's a failure in our life, we need to confess it. We need to say what it is. It was wrong. Not justify, not make excuses. We say, I shouldn't have said those things. I shouldn't have hurt you that way. I shouldn't have gossiped. I shouldn't have done those things. It was wrong. And then we commit ourselves to make a a change with that fresh start that we've been given, rather than living like we did in the past. Remember, we saw last week in verse 27, it said we are not to give Satan an opportunity. We saw the word literally means a foothold, a tapas, a place in our life. Satan is called the father of lies in John 8, 44. And here we see that's contrary to us as Christians because in verse 25, it says we're to speak the truth. We're not to live like the father of lies, Satan. We're to live like our heavenly father calls us. One of the reasons we have wrong things that pour out of our mouths is because we haven't been filling our mind and our our mouth with the right things. Computer programmers tell you garbage in, garbage out. And it's the same thing. We watch hours and hours of junk on TV or in the internet or listen to stuff and we're filling the reservoir of our minds with, with garbage and we wonder why does it break loose and come out of our mouth sometimes. If I were walking around with a, a, a cup and I had coffee in it and, and you banged into me and jolted me and, and the stuff in it sloshed out, what would you expect to come out of this cup? Well, coffee, right? Because that's what's filled it. And, and that's what the Bible tells us happens to us. When we as Christians get jostled or jolted, what's inside of us is what comes out. Matthew twelve thirty four says, For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. The mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. What are you filling your mind with? Are you immersed in the Word of God? Are you uh, looking at things that are edifying and, and good and building up? Or are you filling your mind with the garbage of the world and then wondering when you get banged and you're jostled, does it surprise you that that stuff comes out? You know, one of the signs of our changed life should be a change in our language where, where we quit using the name of the Lord as a curse word or a swear and instead we speak about the love of God that's in us. And instead of lying like we did in the past, we're to tell the truth. You know, the world loves to say, now take this with a grain of salt. And we all know that means, well, look for the truth in it, set aside some falsehoods or exaggerations. The Bible doesn't say take this with a grain of salt. What it says to us as Christians is our speech is to be seasoned with salt. 
And we see what that looks like here in Ephesians 4.29. It says, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, that it may give grace to those who hear. As you think about your speech, is that, is that what it looks like? This word unwholesome is the Greek word saphros. It's a, it's a word that means rotten, foul, stinks. It, it describes the, the rotting decay of flesh. Do you have that picture in your mind? Have you ever smelled rotting, decaying flesh? That's a great description of foul language, isn't it? Because if you've ever been around somebody where they're letting language like that loose, it, it, it's just foul. It stinks. It's, it's just decayed language, and you're going, this is, this is bad. Get it away from me. Somebody once described profanity as the use of strong words by weak people. The use of strong words by weak people. You know, when I hear profanity now, uh, it's, it, it reminds me of the days when I was a cop. When I was a policeman, um, I heard profanity every day. Make that every hour, maybe every minute, right? And in many cases, it was directed at me. Uh, I would come home from work some days, and if I hadn't been cussed at numerous times, I'd, I'd look and say, does it say Dallas police? Am I wearing a badge? I think I was at work today, but, you know, because I was used to hearing profanity all the time. And what's funny is now as a pastor, when people cuss around me, you know what they do? Oh, oh Pastor Roger, I'm so sorry. I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> Why? I mean, why are you worried about saying it around me as your pastor? Uh, you know, we need to worry about what are we saying and what are we doing around God? And what are we doing around kids? You know, kids copy us, don't they? Uh, have you ever done something and, and you see a kid do it or you say something and you hear it from a kid and you go, oh, it's terrible. There was a teenager one time, he, he, was, uh, he wrote this. He said, I said a very naughty word the other day. It was truly naughty word that I had not meant to say. But when from my lips it flew, it was not lost, for my little brother picked it up, and now he uses it too. Would you be embarrassed if some little kid following you around started talking and repeating the things you said? You know, a better test to use is not whether we'd be embarrassed if a little kid said what we said, but rather just use Ephesians 4.29 here as a test. Ask yourself if what you're about to say is good for edification. The word good is agathos. It literally means useful. So it says, is it good, useful for edification? Edifices are like a building. And when you edify, you're literally building up something versus tearing it down. So ask yourself if what you're saying is good to build somebody up rather than tear them down. Uh, That word means improvement. Ask if what you say gives grace to those who hear. That word literally means to confer a blessing. To confer a blessing. When you speak, do your words confer a blessing or do they make somebody blush? You know, last time we talked about not blasting people when we're frustrated. It's been said that that a wise man thinks before he speaks, but a fool speaks before he thinks. A wise man thinks before he speaks, but a fool speaks before he thinks. I want you to take that word think and use it as an acronym. It's another test you can use. Uh, If you go into my house and walk into our kitchen, you'll see this poster up on our refrigerator. It says, uh, before you speak, think. 
T stands for is it true? H, is it helpful? I, is it inspiring? N, is it necessary? K, is it kind? Think. My kids sit at the dinner table, and there are times as we're talking, I'll say, did you think? And they all groan. And they look over at the refrigerator, right? And I say, is it truthful? Sometimes they go, oh, yeah, it's truthful. Well, okay, we're not done yet. (laughs) Is it helpful? I mean, are you just repeating it, or is there a purpose to repeating it? Is it helpful? Is it inspiring? And then I say, is it necessary? Or is it kind? Do you think before you speak? Now, I'm not saying you never say hard things. In fact, the Bible, just as we saw last time, commands us at times, be angry and yet do not sin. There are times as believers we're told to speak hard truths, but we've already seen in Ephesians that it says we're to truth and love. Whenever we speak truth, it's to be covered and uh, surrounded in love. And when you talk about speaking truth, Proverbs 27, 6 tells us that it says, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful the kisses of an enemy. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. It means if you love somebody enough, if you're a friend of somebody, you will care enough to have the hard, crucial conversations sometimes to say to them, listen, I need to talk to you about something going on in your life or the way that you reflect yourself and how you speak. Deceitful are the kisses of an enemy where we just look away. Now, when we say those things, as I said in Ephesians 4.15, we saw there to be covered in love. We're not to be doing things that are destructive or careless or cutting comments just to be cute or just when we don't even think about what we're saying. Some of you here know who Kim Carpenter is. She was a famous singer back in the 80s. And Kim Carpenter uh, died at the age of 32 of health issues related to heart disease that came from anorexia. And anorexia was not a a very well-known disease back in that time, but Uh, As they looked at her life and they they tried to find the trigger point in her life where this disease started, they they tied it all the way back to a comment that a reviewer had made of a show that she and her brother had, had performed. And this reviewer's statement about Karen Carpenter in that review was, he referred to her as Richard's chubby sister. Richard's chubby sister. And this young woman absorbed those words And it became a destructive influence in her life, and she starved herself to death. It's not just people like Karen Carpenter that are victims of careless or cutting words of others. I can tell you that over years and years of dealing with people, I have seen the destructive words that were spoken carelessly when somebody was a little child, when they were a teenager, a young man or woman, how those words have stuck in a person's mind and have influenced and directed their life. I've talked to people who are doctors and lawyers and engineers and and accomplished businessmen and women, CEOs, military leaders, people who are high-performing, and they will tell me, Roger, I'm still crippled by a comment that was made to me when I was in grade school or by something a parent or an associate said to me once. As I said, our words have power. Sometimes we think nothing of them as they slip from our mouth, but they become this arrow that goes straight to somebody's heart. And in contrast to the devastation that can be done with hurtful words, words of affirmation can have the opposite effect. 
It's like going in and watering a plant that is barely hanging on, and when it gets the, the, the attention and moisture, it suddenly blossoms and comes back to life. Some of you are fans of the comic strip Dilbert. It's written by Scott Adams. And Adams tells of the time when he was trying to get a start in the business. And he sent out his portfolio to all these editors of papers, and he was trying to uh, get somebody to syndicate him or pick up his comic strip. And, and he got rejection slip after rejection slip. And he said many of them were very unkind, telling him, are you kidding? Your work is a joke. Your work's not funny, but your work's a joke. One person said, go take art lessons. You're horrible. And then he gets a letter from a woman named Sarah Gillespie. She was editor at United Media, and she was considered one of the genuine experts in the field. And, and she called and she offered him a contract. Now, uh, Adam says, at first, I didn't believe her because of what he had heard from all these other people. He said, I asked her if I would have to change my style or get a partner or learn how to draw. And she said, I believe you're gifted and good enough to be a nationally syndicated cartoonist. Adam says her confidence in me completely changed my frame of reference and how I thought, even of my own abilities. He says, this may sound bizarre, but the minute I got off the phone with her, I could draw better. And there was a marked improvement in my work and creativity. How many times have you ever seen where the words that were spoken to somebody rocked their world and tore them down? And then there were other times you saw where somebody spoke certain words that rocketed the person to the next level or brought them out of uh, a depression or some other situation they were in. Proverbs 25.11 tells us, like apples of gold in settings of silver is a word spoken in right circumstances. Picture the value and the beauty of that. Like apples of gold in settings of silver is a word spoken in the right circumstances. Paul tells us here not to let any unwholesome word proceed from our mouth. This word for proceed literally describes a flowing river. So I want you to picture for a moment uh, your speech coming out of the reservoir of your brain and flowing out of your mouth. And what does it look like? As you think about the, the river flowing out of your mouth, is it a clear, cool pure stream of water that, that invites somebody to take and dip a cup in it where they say, oh, this is going to be so refreshing to, to be around you. Or, or is your speech more like an open sewer? As you think about that, do you want to dip your cup into that? Now, maybe your, your speech is more like a lava flow, burning and caustic, creeping along and destroying everything. The Bible tells us this in James chapter 3, verses 5 through 11 of James 3 says, The tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. Behold how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. For every species of beast and birds and reptiles and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race. But no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father. And with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be the way 
Does a fountain send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? You see, as you think of your speech coming out of your mouth, God says it's not two streams, fresh and bitter. In fact, there's a word, dialogos, in the Greek language. It means slander. It's one of the names of Satan. He's called the father of lies, the Apollyon, the destroyer. He's called the dialogos, the two-speaking, destructive one. And when we gossip, when we use destructive and critical words, we're doing the work of our enemy, Satan. It says we're not to be that way. The picture is, as our speech is flowing out of our mouth, it, it says every now and then we have this 55-gallon drum of poison that breaks loose in the reservoir. Before all the days of environmental concern, you remember there were pictures of backwaters and rivers where there were these 55-gallon drums of toxic chemicals that had been dumped into the waterway. And that's what our speech looks like sometimes as believers. We have this flow coming out, and every now and then one of these 55-gallon drums of toxin break loose. And we find them in verse 31, bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, malice. And when these things come in the reservoir and slip out in the flow, they contaminate our speech and they make it foul. And it's no longer refreshing. And it damages others. And it damages our, ourselves. We diminish who we are by the way we present ourselves. And, and it damages our relationship with the Lord even. Look at verse 30. It says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. You know, we know we're not supposed to talk that way. We, we see those non-believers we work with or sit, a, you know, in the desk next to at school, and we know they love to gossip, right? We go, oh, that's kind of wrong. We don't do that. You know what we do as Christians sometimes? We share prayer requests. You ever been around somebody who says, uh, oh, oh, hey, hey, we need to talk. You hear about Roger? Listen, I'm so concerned for him. I I need to tell you because we need to pray for Roger. And the Bible tells us to pray specifically, so I need to tell you everything going on. Let me tell you. (laughs) And we begin to just write, download, and and, and share those prayer requests because we're not gossiping, we're praying because we're going to go to the Lord about this, right? And the, you know, where two or more are gathered, the Lord's there, so let's get even more in the circle. And we just, we, friends, why do we do that? Why would we take something as sacred as prayer and abuse it like that and grieve God? Now, you may be thinking, but Roger, I I really do like to pray for people and and there are needs. Well, do you know, God hears your prayers. You don't have to share it with everybody. And if you feel like you do have to share it with somebody, stop and ask yourself, you know, I've given you a lot of tests today. Use the THINK test. Use the Ephesians 4.29 test. Here's another test for you. Before you share something about somebody where you're thinking, well, I want to pray about this with somebody, I want you to ask yourself, are you being a butcher or a surgeon? Now, what's the difference between a butcher and a surgeon? You see, they both cut meat, right? A butcher cuts it for the purpose of devouring. But a surgeon cuts meat for the purpose of healing, to go in and remove a cancer, to perform a corrective surgery, to repair an injury. So ask yourself, are you sharing something for the purpose of healing or devouring? King David knew how destructive the tongue can be. It's why he said in Psalm 141.3, Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. You know, God knew our tongue could do damage when it got out, so he set it behind two rows of teeth and two lips, and it still gets out, doesn't it? (laughs) 
Mark Twain once said, the reason a dog has more friends than people is it wags its tail instead of its tongue. (laughs) As you think about your life, which one describes you? Now, the tongue weighs almost nothing, and yet few people are strong enough to hold it. In those times where our tongues get loose, remember what James 3 said, it's like a spark that sets a massive fire. Think about the fire that recently happened in Tennessee. It was just a tiny fire that devastated an entire area and took life and property. It was a tiny spark. The Bible also describes our tongue as the rudder on a ship. It says it's so small in comparison with the rest of the vessel, but when it moves, it directs the entire vessel. And so it is with our body. When our tongues move, they affect the whole body, not just us personally, but it affects the body of Christ. Remember, Paul is talking in terms of the unity of the body and what can happen here when we allow our speech to be destructive rather than constructive. Now, one way to uh, watch what we say is to watch the people we're with. If you're with a group of friends at school, at work, yes, even here at church where we share prayer requests, ask yourself who the people are that you're with and what you're talking about. And if you're in a group where somebody wants to gossip or, or, or talk about things, gently change the subject. Just say to them, you know, hey, how was your weekend? Or, you know, change the subject to something different. Now, some people don't get the hint, do they? So you've got to be a little more blunt. So you can offer them this lip gloss for gossipers. <laughs> Just hand them a tube of super glue and say, why don't you put this on your lips right now? I don't think we need to talk about this. Now, if that seems a little too direct, just say to the person, look, we shouldn't be talking about this. Or if you really want to pray for this person, let's just do that right now. Let's not talk about this anymore. Let's go to the Lord, lead them in prayer, make it brief, direct, ask for God, say amen, and then change the subject. And if the person or people that you're with don't get the hint, then remove yourself from the conversation. Now, now I know you're saying, well, that's, that's, that's kind of hard to do, Roger, because two things. One, I, honestly, I really like to be in the know. I mean, I, I like the scoop, right? And so if I walk away, I don't get to know everything that's going on. And really, in the back of our mind, what many of us fear is when we walk away, they're going to start talking about us, right? Well, let me just ask you just directly, if, if that's what your fear is, why do you call those people your friend? They're not your friend. If, if they're waiting to tear you down next, they're not your friend. And if that's who they are, then that, that's not the people you need to be associating with anyway. The Bible says avoid bad company. You know, if more of us would just disengage from gossip, those conversations would end. I remember years ago, there was a tabloid uh, situation that happened, and they were uh, dealing with the backlash, and they said, well, look, if, if people would quit buying our magazines, if there was no market for our garbage, they honestly said, we, we, would not, uh, we wouldn't be buying the pictures, or we wouldn't be paying people for the stories. And if we weren't paying people for the pictures and stories, the paparazzi would quit chasing people around. They said, honestly, it's a domino effect. You take away the market, well, the rest of the process dies. And it's the same thing with gossip. If you remove yourself from the situation, the person ends up only talking to themselves, and it dies. God tells us here in verses 31 through 32 to embark on a cleanup campaign. 
Well, it is a command. He says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. And then on the positive side, he says, and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. You see, God tells us here how to remove this poison and garbage out of our minds and release the wrongs, the hurts that are done to us by others. Ephesians 4.29 gives us that test. Ask yourself if what I'm about to say is wholesome. Is it good? Is it useful? Will it give grace to those who hear? Will it build somebody up? And as you're going through that, if the answer is no, then just don't say it. Take that verse, Ephesians 4.29, and put it where it needs to be seen by you. If, if you tend to gossip when you're on the phone at home, then put a sticky note right there by the phone at home. Make it the wallpaper on your, your cell phone so when it rings, it shows Ephesians 4.29, and you remember, oh, I don't need to say that. Put it at your workstation, in your cubicle. Hang it on the visor of your car. As I said, not only just have it, but memorize it. So as it's about to come out, you just run that test through your mind. As you think about the destruction that can come, I want to illustrate it with a, a story of a young man who went to see a monk in a village. He said to this monk, he said, listen, you know, Father, I've, I've sinned. I've, I've been slandering a person. I've been spreading lies around town. And he said, it was wrong, and, and I want to fix it. What do I need to do? And this monk said, I want you to get a bag of feathers. And I want you to go around into the village and I want you to put a feather on every single doorstep, every business stoop in the village. So the young man did that. He went all throughout town putting feathers. And then he came back to the monastery. He said, Father, I've done that. I've put, put the feathers everywhere. Now what? And he said, now I want you to go back into town and I want you to pick up each and every feather. And this guy said, that's impossible. He said, by now the wind has come and has blown those feathers all over town. I'll never get them all back. And the monk looked at the man and said, so too is your slanderous word. You'll never be able to retrieve it all. The next time you want to spread something, the next time you want to post on Snapchat or Instagram or Facebook or put something out there, slander isn't just through our speech anymore. It's through our, our texting and our thumbs and other ways. Think of those feathers. Picture them as being feathers that you're spreading all around town. And then ask yourself, if you had to go back and pick up each of those feathers, would you be able to do it? Now, maybe this morning you're sitting here saying, you know, Roger, I've, I've been doing some of that stuff and I want to make it right. What do I need to do? It's too late. The feathers have blown everywhere. Well, you can still get some of them back. Start with the person that you lied about. Start with the person you slandered. Start with the person you hurt. Go to them and confess your wrong. Say, I'm sorry, this is what I did. Will you forgive me? And then do what you can to make things right. Go back and pick up as many feathers as you can. Go to your friends and say, hey, you know, when I told you that stuff, it wasn't, it wasn't right, or I overblew it, or I shouldn't have said what I did. And then uh, if you've posted it somewhere, go delete it. Take it down. If you're courageous enough, put the truth up in its place and say, I'm sorry, this was wrong. Confess to God as well. Go to God and say, God, I was wrong. I'm a son or daughter of yours. I'm a child of yours, and I didn't represent my daddy well. I said things that were hurtful. Will you forgive me? 
And God's answer is found in 1 John 1, 9. Yes. He says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So go to the Lord and tell him you're sorry. Go to the person, tell him you're sorry. Find ways to make things right. If you're in an environment at work or school or other places, as I said, withdraw or or try to change the subject. Now, I know some of you are in, in environments where you may be the only believer. And the culture and things are so rampant, you're saying, I can't change the culture. Yes, you can. It can start with you being a witness where people start to say, hey, you're, you're not doing what we're doing. Why? I've got a daughter in a public high school where she's a junior and some of her friends, her squad will say to her, are you a Christian? She'll say, yes. Why? Well, you don't cuss like everybody. I'm not telling you that that is the mark of only being a believer. When I was a cop, I I had partners who, you know, cussed like sailors. One of them you've heard me talk about in the past. She was a a lady who, boy, it would peel the paint. And she would see me, and I wouldn't respond, and I'd pray at our meal. She'd go, don't do that. Everybody's looking at us. And, you know, they're already looking at you as cops in a restaurant. And when you bow your head, she's like, everybody's looking at us. And I go, that's okay. It took years But she got to the point where she started saying, what do you say when you pray? And I'd pray out loud. She would say, well, you know, could you help me stop cussing? And I started charging her. She was paying for every every meal, you know, started with a dollar a cuss word. We had to go to a nickel, and she was still buying every every dinner and lunch. (laughs) But over time, she changed. Over time, she came to Christ. And we would, we would be out with, with other cops. There'd be four of us at a table, and I'd go to bow, you know, it'd be time to, and I'd start to, you know, I didn't make a big show of it. We're going to pray, you know. <laughs> I, would, I would just bow my head, and she'd go, hey, Roger hasn't prayed yet. Put your forks down. <laughs> and then we'd pray. You can have an effect on the environment where you are. You may not change it overnight. But as we begin to do the things that we see here, we can change our homes, our workplaces, our bases. So I want us to go to the Lord now, and I want us to spend just a few moments in prayer. I want you to think through your life. I want you to think through maybe some relationships that you need to do some work on. And ask God now for courage and for wisdom, for first steps. And then I'll go to the Lord for us and close our time in prayer. Let's pray. Lord God, as we think of your word this morning and all that it says, like in Matthew twelve thirty four, where it says that our, our mouth speaks from the overflow of our heart. Father, we want to be those who are, who are filled with grace and mercy and truth, and we want that to be what shows up in our speech and in the way we live our lives. Father, it may be that there's somebody here this morning who's not yet come to faith in your son. And the first thing that needs to happen this morning is for them to acknowledge their need for you. To stop and turn around and go to the cross in repentance. 
and to receive that gift of forgiveness that you offer to us as believers. Father, for others of us here, we belong to you, but we've, we've not been living in a way that really reflects that. We've, we've had times where we've let things slip from our lips, and we're sorry for the way we've lashed out at others. We're sorry, Lord, for the way we've treated others. And even you with disrespect, like when we've taken your name in vain. We ask that you would help us, Father, to be Ephesians 4.29 Christians. When it comes to our speech, would our, would our words be those that fill our mouths and minds with worthwhile stuff, and would you nudge us when we've said enough? Lord, would you help us to live in a way that we reflect our relationship with you as those who have been forgiven, and Father, that includes us forgiving those who have hurt us. And so now, Father, we pray that you would help us, that you would help us to be your witnesses and to walk out of here as men and women who are not perfect, but as those who are serious about taking the next steps with you and trying to live for you, not because it'll get us to heaven, You've already purchased that ticket through your son, Jesus. But, Father, may we live in a way that reflects our relationship with you. Thank you for your love, your grace, and your mercy. Would you use us now, Lord, as your messengers of grace? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.